and welcome to another installment of Visionaries, a podcast that demonstrates you don't need a great deal of eyesight to be a visionary. Santino, how's it going? It's going another great. week in the books. Going great, going great. Ready for another exciting episode of Visionaries. We have a lot of great topics lined up for you guys today. John, take it away. Yeah, uh, we are going to start by, in well, actually, we're going to start with our words to live by, a quote that helps us out as we navigate our own lives and do the best to maximize our opportunities over the course of the week. So this one comes to us courtesy of John Milton. And the reason that I chose it is because John Milton, iconic poet, novelist, figure of literary repute, actually dictated his landmark Paradise Lost after he had lost the majority of his own eyesight. So here's a quote. Gratitude bestows reverence, allowing us to experience everyday epiphanies, those transformative moments of awe that forever change how we experience life and the world. So when I say that out loud, Santino, where does it hit you? What does it kind of invoke in you hearing those words? That's a tough question. I mean, just just hearing it, you know, towards the end, the part where he says transcendent moments of awe that change, that forever change how we experience life and the world. I, I think that hits me more just because honestly, I've had a lot of moments in my life recently that have kind of changed how I view, like how I view the world in general. So that like, that that part really just sticks out to me because it is true. There are so many moments in our life and, and just big moments in our life in general will be will, will be the cause and the thing that really makes us it changes how we experience life in the world. So I really think that just stands out. And I think it's a true statement within that quote that, that, that John Milton says. Yeah. And just focusing on the gratitude part of it, I think there's a tendency as we navigate our lives on an everyday basis where we sometimes lose sight of the bigger picture that, look, this is a world where 7 billion people reside. Everyone has their own unique set of challenges and obstacles that they have to overcome. So above, before anything else, be grateful. Uh, Demonstrate some semblance of gratitude. And in doing so, If you open yourself up to being grateful, you are then opening yourself up to all the beauties that life can bestow upon you, allowing you to be able to interact with others, to learn from others, to learn from specific situations, whereas if you are sort of selfishly focusing on your own journey, things related to the singular you, you're going to miss a lot of that. So be grateful. Be grateful for the opportunity to experience the world and make the most of that opportunity. We'll move on to our next segment, Handprints Hall of Fame. John, who are we enshrining today in our Handprints Hall of Fame? None other than Ray Charles. Maybe the greatest, one of the greatest, for sure, I think. Yeah. uh, Musicians of all time. Definitely. Uh, So... Again, have it in your mind. Just picture we're out in front of Grauman's Chinese Theater on Hollywood Boulevard. We are bending down so as to be able to place our hands in the dirt, enshrining one Ray Charles 
forever and all time in our own handprints hall of fame now beyond the obvious the seven time 17 time grammy winning musician uh would get there merely on the merits of his musical career but i don't think he gets enough credit for his abilities as a quote-unquote visionary so before charles enjoyed the bulk of his success soul didn't exist as a genre mm -hmm. through his efforts and those of artists like aretha franklin a new genre was carried into the forefront taking elements from classical music gospel uh, rhythm and blues and blending it all together he created soul now he would later go on to splice into uh, soul some hints of country uh, even rockabilly at times but even though he couldn't literally see Ray Charles epitomizes the idea of the visionary for being able to forecast his vision out into the future and come up with one of the greatest forms of music that the world has ever known that being soul definitely and it's like like you said I'm kind of reiterating and you know in a different way what you're saying is that he had the vision to essentially not just create pop but like you said integrate other genres into that and essentially just create a whole new genre of music and you know going like going into the future he was a, he was a pioneer of music, you know, again, like you said, 17 Grammy Award winner. He won a Lifetime Achievement Award in 1987. I mean, the, the amount of accolades that, that this man has and what he accomplished throughout his illustrious career as a musician, Ray Charles, no doubt, should be enshrined into our Handprints Hall of Fame. I think it's a great selection that you and I both made. And again, everything that he did, like you said, he gets a lot of credit for what he did as a musician, but I, li I appreciate and li understand and like how you're highlighting him here as more of a, as not necessarily more of, but highlighting the importance of him being a visionary, like you said. Yeah, uh, there are innumerable amounts of musicians who can effectively play the piano and simultaneously sing, but very few of those create whole cloth, an entirely different genre that would go on to decades and decades of fanfare and popularity. So for his ability to see into the future, see that although the world at the time hadn't experienced it they were ready for soul definitely definitely and i just again and no and, and, and like you said I, I i just there's nobody else i mean I, obviously last week we had richard turner from the documentary dealt the famous magician now we have ray charles i think it's a great way to close it out he will be inducted into our handprints hall of fame And I think we'll move on to our next segment, Profiles in Courage, where we're going to be interviewing Dave Stevens, actually a professor of mine. Uh, he works at Quinnipiac. He's a motivational speaker. He worked in broadcasting for 20 years at ESPN. And we're going to be able to, we're going to get to interview him, ask him a few questions about how he achieved what he achieved. Hi, Dave. Okay. How you doing? I'm so sorry. I don't know why that happened. All good. Technical difficulties. We'll move on. All right. So we're going to ask you a few questions just about your career and what you've been able to accomplish. Uh, John, if you want to introduce him, let's start off with the first question. Yeah. Hey, Dave. Um, we are so lucky and fortunate to be joined by none other than Dave Stevens. 
a man who has inspired countless folks across the country and indeed around the world. Uh, Dave has a long, illustrious career in sports journalism and as an athlete himself. So Dave, I want to start with your, what made you believe that you could, that you could be an athlete, that you could uh, play at the collegiate level, play professionally? What was the eureka moment for you? Um, I think, you know, in, in seventh and eighth grade, when I started figuring out how I could play sports without legs, and I wasn't the last pick anymore. And you know how much that means to you in the grade school level for kickball or volleyball or basketball, not to be that last kid that nobody wants on that team. And as I developed being able to catch a baseball and a softball, it, it really helped me think, okay, well, why can't I do what everybody else is doing? There is no how to play sports for dummies without legs. So I just kind of evolved and figured out my own way, uh, much like you've had to do in your life. You can't teach how you're going to get around you have to figure it out so it's one of those things that I don't know intestinal fortitude or whatever but it just as I got better I was like okay well I could have dreams to play in Yankee Stadium with Reggie Jackson and I want to be on TV and replace Howard Cosell which is an olden time sports guy so um, to have those dreams actually come true and then you throw on the resume oh he doesn't have legs uh, you don't need to have vision or eyesight to realize that anybody can do anything that they want to do if they just work hard enough. That's right. And I think it's important for our listeners uh, to keep ideas like that in mind as they embark upon their own careers uh, and their own paths in, in life. Uh, so was there a moment uh, where maybe you were uh, in the outfield or batter's box. Um, but that moment where you realized I'm actually doing this. And then what was your kind of goal after, okay, you proved that you could play collegially, play professionally. Uh, what was kind of the goal with that series of experiences uh, that you aspired to um, ultimately? I think it was just to show people what normal was. And I think that moment kind of came, even though I had started and let off a game in the, in, a, in the minor leagues and, uh, you know, uh, just had that experience. I think, you know, when I went on the road with uh, the St. Paul Saints to Madison, Wisconsin, Daryl Strawberry hit three home runs in that game, making his comeback to the big leagues. And he turned to the skipper and he said, go let Dave pinch hit for me. And I'm like, Dave, who, you know, and suddenly the PA system says now batting for Daryl Strawberry, Dave Stevens. And it was this surreal moment as the crowd wasn't expecting me to play and I wasn't expecting me to play. And like, I'm pinch hitting for an icon. I don't think there's many people with legs that have ever pinch hit for Daryl Strawberry. It's not like he struck out three times. He hit three home runs. So he had this opportunity for a fourth. And it was just that moment that like, you know, even though I took a call third strike, it was like, wow, you know, I've replaced a legend and, and I'm an equal at that moment. I did not have legs. The box score just says Dave Stevens pinch hitting for Daryl Strawberry. It didn't, there's no X over it or asterisk or anything like that. And I think that's when I realized, okay, you know, 
I can make a difference. I can inspire. I can just lead by example. And I really think that was one of the most, you know, turning points in my life as far as my athletic career. Yeah, def definitely. And that's a, a, a crazy and insane story for you to even have that opportunity. The next question I wanted to ask you, I know you got to try out for the Dallas Cowboys. Um, what was the best memory that you just, that you have from that experience? As weird as it was when I ran the 40 yard dash and, and it was slow, it wasn't, I wasn't as fast as I used to be because my body had been broken up. But at the end of that 40 yard dash, like everybody just broke into applause and it was like, I wanted to cry. I'm like, I'm just this dude without legs trying out. And, and all these other athletes just stopped and started clapping. And I, it was just like, it gets set chills up my spine as the dude bends down and says, we're sorry, Mr. Stevens, uh, your time wasn't fast enough to continue. Here's your certificate. And I was like, you know, hit by emotion of this moment. And then the realism, like, you know what, I wasn't good enough to make it, but I, at least I had that chance. Definitely. Definitely. The final question I would have for you, um, I, again, obviously the amount of things that you've accomplished in your illustrious career, again, like John mentioned at the beginning, you know, being a sports journalist, you know, being a sports broadcaster, everything that you've done just in the world of sports in general, from being an athlete to now analyzing it, reporting on it, all that kind of stuff. What would you say to people that whether they, you know, they don't have legs, they're like John, they, they, they don't have eyesight, any obstacles they're facing, what would you say to those people? Because I know right now you're a motivational speaker as well. What would you say to them to try to inspire them and to motivate them to continue to achieve their goals and their dreams like you and John both have? Well, I think, you know, just leading by example, and I could turn the question on you because you probably didn't know what my style was like or what I did yet, you know, on Radio Row, you saw us getting the guests and me jumping in front of Warren Moon and going, you know, and that's like, like John knows you can't take no for an answer in life. So it's like now you going in the future, you've flagged people down. Now you at your age has done it, but it's like, you didn't see me as this legless dude. You saw me as a journalist or as a, as a reporter. And you know, all those, we broke down those stereotypes for you kids. And I think that was like that week with you guys, is, you know, and, and helping John with his podcast, that's what it's all about for me. It's like giving those opportunities to break those stereotypes. You know, you're, you know, you're normal, you're a leggy, but now you've seen the world of what I go through and what Zion Clark goes through, what John goes through. And now you have that voice. So it's, it's awesome that, you know, a, a guy like me at my age can contribute with ability media and do these things. And I, I'm so excited now that we're really getting attention that, you know, your career's launching, John's career's launching, and we can really make an impact. Definitely. And I, I think it's very important what you said, though, that it's, it's, I think it's almost as important, if not more important for people like me, who are, I guess you want to say outsiders to that world who, again, before working with you, before working with John, I had never experienced any, anybody with, you know, with you guys' disabilities. I never worked with people that had your obstacles, but now being an outsider, being around you guys, like you said, seeing how you operate in the world and what you guys have to do, it's honestly, it's more inspiring that you guys can even achieve what you guys have achieved in your lives. And, you know, to be now a part of what John is going to achieve with this podcast. And again, what you've done, what we did, did at Radio Row together, it's all been incredible. And like to the listeners, again, to people who are like me, who are outsiders to this world and don't know what it's like to, you know, live a day in uh, John or Dave's, you know, shoes, know that they, they have accomplished so much and they have such a strong mindset to do what they've done and just know that 
you can achieve whatever you want to achieve to the listeners out there. I want us to say that, uh, John, if you wanted to close it out with yeah, anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, Dave, thanks so much yeah. for, for coming on the show. Uh, I truly think that listeners will be inspired by, uh, by what you've had to say. Um, yeah. Before we let, uh, we let you get out. I was just curious for aspiring athletes, broadcast journalists, or, People who just need maybe a nudge in one direction or another. Do you have any recommendations as far as books are concerned or movies, documentaries, or people that they should study um, as they pursue their own careers? Maybe you know, there's, a couple, there's a couple of athletes out there that I look to as far as like a Jim Abbott as a role model. And, and you know, you can pick up Jim's book, uh, a guy who was born with one hand and ended up pitching a no hitter in Yankee Stadium. And I'm so blessed our lives have, have paralleled because, as you know, John, you know, we were at the Super Bowl with a high school football coach with no arms and no legs. So it's all about perspective. But if people can see, you know, documentaries like that, or just, you know, Google some of the amazing stories that are out there of, of like uh, Shaquille uh, Griffin, the football player with one arm who was just in the NFL and uh, is a free agent, but looking to get back in. And there are so many inspiring stories out there. You know, there are all these disability Rudy's out there, you know, Rudy had his one play and he got his movie. Um, but there are so many other inspiring documentaries and stories of, of people that have overcome. And now your voice is going to get heard. And I'm so excited, you know, with with you and Santino working at this level. I mean, it, it's just going to open up everybody being able to look through your your visionary, you know, eyes that you don't have to have eyes to have foresight and insight. And you're, you're going to open that up. Like, I, I'm just excited for you guys. You know, I really am. Well, thanks so much, Dave. Uh, interesting Actually, Jim Abbott it grew up in the same community as me. So I remember trick-or-treating at his house on multiple occasions. And um, yeah, really, really awesome guy. You got to uh, get him on the show. You got to get him on the show. Start the, we, that would be phenomenal. Absolutely. Definitely. Absolutely. Thank, thank you so much, Dave, for coming on. I really appreciate it. You taking the time with us. And uh, we'll, talk to you, we'll talk to you next time. All right, guys. God thank bless. You. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Dave. That was a great way to close that segment out. Thank you for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. We'll move on to our next segment, Respect and Representation in the Media, where we'll be talking about two different movies that John has selected today, and we'll kind of be comparing and contrasting them, seeing what worked and didn't work. John, take it away. All right. So blindness has been depicted in the entertainment industry in a lot of different ways. And one of the things that we want to zero in on here. Uh, at Visionaries is how do they do? How did Hollywood do? How did the entertainment industry do? Uh, so we're going to start our examination of two, I would say, polar opposite depictions of the visually impaired community with 1992's Scent of a Woman starring Al Pacino. In the film, Pacino plays a visually impaired former army colonel who is whiling the days away, living in his niece's guest house, drinking too much Jack Daniels and cursing at his uh, relatives. Yep. But on one fateful Thanksgiving holiday weekend, with the aid of Charlie, who's portrayed by Chris O'Donnell, he embarks upon a tour of pleasures, as he tells the audience. He and Charlie go to New York City. They 
stay at the Waldorf Astoria. They dine at the Oak Room. Uh, they dance the tango with a beautiful woman driving a Corvette is also in the mix. And it's in all of this that the audience viewers are brought into the world of the visually impaired community. Um, this is a movie that I think does a great job of portraying the actual ins and outs of the blind experience. So we learn early on that Frank Slade tells Charlie, I touch you, you don't touch me yep. uh, when they are walking out in the world. Very infamous scene, yeah. Yeah, um, and it's through this quote-unquote tour of pleasures that Colonel Frank Slade regains his zest for life, realizing that even though he can't see, there are many, many things that he can do in order to lead his best life, mm -hmm. which stands in stark contrast, I would say, to the other movie on, on the docket here, yeah. which is uh, Anchorman 2. Oof. But before we get into that, what are, what are some of your thoughts on, on Send of a Woman? I know you're kind of... I grew up with this movie. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite Al Pacino performances. He's my favorite actor. Definitely. Uh, I'm, on, I'm on the younger side. So I, I honestly hadn't ever... Forget not even seen it. I, haven't, I never even heard of this movie until obviously you brought it up when we were doing our preparation for the podcast. And you were saying, you know, we're going to talk about this movie on one of our episodes. And I was like, okay, I'll watch it. I didn't really, like, from the title, I was like, wait, is it going to be about, like, this film? I was, like, very confused at first when I read the title. Now, after seeing this movie, I can say it probably is one of my favorite movies. It was phenomenal. The writing, the directing, everything. Al Pacino delivered, uh, hands down, an incredible performance. Chris O'Donnell did a great job. The movie itself was just, in my opinion, was just a great movie. Um, I will say... The, my probably my favorite scene um, was him driving. I believe it was the Corvette, right? Mm -hmm. You said, yeah, that was just, and obviously, you know, blind people in the real world, there obviously are limitations for them. And just like any human, there are limitations for what you can do. I don't know necessarily how realistic that was, but I do just in terms of that scene alone, I think it was just really, really cool to see that. It was almost like an empowering moment that he was able to do, to do that without eyesight. I think that was really, really cool. One of the questions I wanted to ask you though, before I kind of give more of my opinion, in the beginning, when you know when when uh, Charlie's first meeting Colonel Frank Slade and he's sitting in his dark room, I guess you can call it like a guest house or an outhouse, whatever you want to call it, and he um just you know he kind of says, "Call me Frank, call me Mister Slade, call me Colonel if you must, just don't call me Sir." And he didn't want to be called Sir. If you want to elaborate kind of on why that is and if that ha kind of has any relation to his you know current state of obviously being blind. Um. Well, there's a couple of tie-ins there. The first, uh, the obvious one being that. Uh, I'm sure he was referred to uh, Sir all throughout his career in in, uh, in the armed forces. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's also something that he clearly sees as patronizing that he would like to be, we're not in an official capacity here. This is not, no one's taking uh, the minutes down on this interaction between he and Charlie. It's okay to treat him like a normal human being. Don't treat him like uh, a mannequin at a museum. Get rid of the de facto sir. Uh, it's too much. And just call me Frank. 
basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because a lot of times uh, people in the visually impaired community will find that outsiders sort of don't know what to do um, upon a first meeting. Um, it kind of throws people uh, for a loop, at least initially, at least initially, do I call this person? Can this person hear me? How much can this person see? If I put my hand out, uh, is this person going to know that it's there in order to shake it? Mm -hmm. All of that. So by him calling him out for referring to him as sir, he is trying to sort of stick a pin in that balloon and deflate uh, any awkwardness, I guess. Yeah, like yeah. Uncertainness. Yes, about knowing any, what of to, the, yeah. any of the tension. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, yeah. so like, uh, Char Charlie, I need you to uh, be a human being here. <laughs> I need you to think, use your mind. Uh, don't be, yeah, a department store mannequin. <laughs> exactly. And just, yeah. and just ask robotic questions, mm -hmm. like, regard the situation for what it is. Yeah, and just to elaborate, like, a, a little bit more on the movie and my thoughts before we head to Anchorman 2 um, and break that down, I think one of the <clears throat> most empowering or not even empowering, but just one of the most important lines in the movie is uh, I'm in the dark here when he says that. I think that really depicts, and you know, like how we talked about in the dark, the, the TV show last on our last show, it is a representation, like you had said in our last show, how blind people may feel. And I think that's one of the ways they did a great job of portraying it because they show that, you know, after losing his sight, he, he was lost in terms of his life. Like he didn't, he didn't, Feel that he had a purpose anymore he didn't know what his purpose in life was and eventually by the end of the movie he does again find that but i think when he says that line so emphatically i think that that line really emphasized and showed how in the beginning and even like in the middle and you know about halfway through the movie that he really didn't feel like he had a purpose anymore and he just felt like he wanted to have that last you know the, those last few days with charlie in new york of the you know the, the what'd you call it, the list of pleasures yeah yeah the, tour of pleasures. yeah the, the tool of pleasures yeah that he wanted to just experience all those great things and then you know we see in the movie obviously he was gonna kill he was gonna kill himself and, and that was gonna be that but it was great to see it was just great to see how it was depicted and i think they did a great great job of show, of showing blindness in this movie definitely and and, and yeah. as we learn uh, Charlie's gotten himself into a bit of trouble yep. uh, at school mm -hmm. involving was he a witness to a crime and will he state what he actually saw and it's in hearing this story and learning of Charlie's plight that Colonel Frank Slade remembers that adage which I think applies to everyone in general uh service above all things so that he can be of service to charlie that he can help charlie get outside of himself get beyond his own plight his own set of circumstances but that he can actually benefit a young man's life um it's extremely profound definitely we'll move on to the other movie we're going to talk about i and i'll, I'll say this before we even get into it Definitely a little different than this movie, uh, not same genre at all. And just the way they depicted it, we'll get into it. But yeah, Anchorman 2, John, the scene where uh, Will Ferrell's character, Ron Burgundy, is living in the lighthouse and he found out that, you know, he, wa he was in fact blind. Just kind of walk me through that scene and kind of what you thought about it and why it did a really, really poor job of depicting blindness in general. So it's depicted as though blindness equals death. Ron Burgundy, now granted, this is a comedy, okay? 
I understand that. I'm not one of those individuals who uh, are just easily offended by everything. And I just need, I need a trigger warning for this and trigger warning for that. I'm not like that. However, seeing Anchorman 2 in the theater um, really kind of hit me in the solar plexus because I'm watching the sequel to a beloved property. I mean, who didn't love the original uh, Ron Burgundy and Chip and Rick Tamblin and uh, Brian Fontana, the gang there in San Diego. And then for some reason, because it really has ostensibly nothing to do with the actual plot, uh, Ron Burgundy is rendered blind for a period of time. And he retreats to a lighthouse and it's just all the worst stereotypes and reactions that you might anticipate upon learning of a diagnosis like that. So I, again, I know it's a comedy. Okay. It's Will Ferrell and Steve Carell. Yeah. Yeah, Like those guys. Yeah. I understand that. However, this is one of the most clumsy ways that I've ever seen blindness depicted. And you could even go a step further and say, it's kind of hurtful that you have as is played for laughs, Ron Burgundy being so blind that he gets a lobster confused with a toothbrush. And he's, he's literally brushing his teeth with a fish makes no sense uh, yeah. it makes no sense other than it's supposed to be a joke at the expense of blind people mm-hmm. that i guess what uh we're not intelligent enough to figure out you that can't, a lobster can't feel things like you right can't, you uh-huh. can't feel the difference which again makes no sense but continue right so again it's it's this uh damaging narrative that blind people are incapable um they're not a, a benefit to society. Uh, they're a burden. Um, n- unable to figure out the difference between a lobster and a toothbrush. And this is somehow supposed to be funny, even though it reinforces all of the worst aspects of characters like Mr. Magoo. Um, and I just can't believe that a group of people as intelligent as Adam McKay, the writer and director, Will Ferrell, uh, and everyone else on board wouldn't have stopped somewhere during the production to go, hmm, is this actually funny? And are we laughing at blind people or are we laughing with them? Because I think if they had paused even momentarily, uh, they would have realized, wait, 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 we're actually not laughing with him. We're laughing at him because he's blind. Mm-hmm. and any way you slice it that's not cool it's, it's not, not and it it, it it to me it seemed like they were almost just like acting as if blind people like can't fun like can't function right. properly and it was like i'm like listen yes they don't have sight but you i listen again as somebody who does not have sight i'd love to believe that you'd be able to feel the difference <laughs> if you were to grab a lobster or a toothbrush and again obviously like you said it's a comedy you know it's we get it. You were trying to come up with something that would that was you know comedic, and you were trying to make people laugh. But like you said, it's the fine line kind of of you're laughing at them and depicting them as basically buffoons and idiots that can't function correctly, just living in general. And 
you know, laughing with them and kind of making, you know, a joke that wouldn't have been so detrimental and just being like, oh yeah, you guys, you know, you, you, you know, you, like you said, you offer nothing like that, like that kind of thing. That's how it came off, whether they had that intention or not, that's how it came across. And you put more value in the way that it comes across on the screen and when you watch the movie. And I just think that, especially when you compare it to something like Scent of a Woman and even last week's um, show we talked about, In the Dark, it doesn't even, it, it's not even close to being able to touch what those two, um, you know, respective that show and, and that movie do with, you know, with, with blindness and how they depict it. Anchorman 2 did a terrible, terrible job of it. And I 100% agree with John here. We're, we're, I think we're in concurrence with both movies that we believe Son of a Woman did a great job and Anchorman 2 did a extremely porous job of, of depicting blindness and kind of how blind people, I guess, just interact and live in the world. Right. We're past this as a society. We are. If you had played that kind of joke in a Marx Brothers movie from the 1940s, well, okay, I would, I would defer at that point. <laughs> yeah. However, uh, in the 21st century, where we are from a social and just the standpoint of overall progress, um, we don't make these types of jokes anymore. And for good reason, um, because a joke like that reinforces the idea that blind people are incapable of doing even the most rudimentary of tasks. And that is simply not true. Definitely not. It's not funny. Yeah. And uh, it just really doesn't have a place uh, anywhere in mainstream culture. So. I love Will Ferrell. Adam McKay has done uh, a lot of good work throughout his career. Uh, this definitely not one of the highlights. And then, yes, with Son of a Woman, Al Pacino, who's made a grand career out of saying lines like hoo yeah, and, you know, kind of shouting. And it all came together uh, with Son of a Woman. Um, and I mean, I read multiple articles about how uh, he studied with uh, visually impaired folks to be able to understand uh, how they prepare food and do laundry. Did his due diligence. Yes, yeah, uh, did his uh, due diligence. And again, if you want to say that the character is over the top, you could say that about 95. That's sort of just Al Pacino. Al Pacino as a performer yep. is kind of over the top. But if you can eradicate that from the mix, uh, you will see that he is playing it with as much honor and uh, compassion as possible. And really trying to portray the character authentically and correctly. And I will say, as just a quick closer, I that was probably one of my favorite like favorite parts of the movie when he would just kind of blitz something out and go cool like yeah. you know, i like i found that kind of just funny and it was like again like he's a person like he doesn't like like you said like the same thing we talked about with murphy like on our last show they're human beings they're not going to be like this like you know perfect picture of what you expect them to be like like you said earlier but anyway we'll move on john and i agree there that you know again send of a woman did a great job anchorman too not so much We'll move on to our final segment, Connecting the Dots, where John is going to tell us yet another story about uh, his journey and just things that he's been able to accomplish despite having retinitis pigmentosa and, you know, just being blind and being without sight. So, John, take it away. Right. So, keeping Ray Charles in mind, um, I wanted to, I found out that even though uh, he was born in Georgia, He's actually buried at the Inglewood uh, National Park Cemetery uh, in Inglewood, which is across the street from SoFi Stadium. 
So this was the week before the events of the Super Bowl were to take place. And I challenged myself to go to this cemetery, literally adjacent to where, I mean, an event that was going to be watched by hundreds of millions of people uh, was to be played. Uh, and in doing so, uh, it brought out uh, a lot of emotions uh, within me, for sure, uh, on a logistics front to find somebody, to find their grave at a cemetery when there are tens of thousands, if not more. Inglewood Park is a massive, gargantuan cemetery. However, what I will always say, utilize the tools at your disposal. So it's like, oh, wow, I'm blind. Plus, even if I weren't blind, this would be like finding a needle in a haystack. So how to, how to make this happen? Thankfully, there are a number of people that post YouTube videos where they describe the exact locations of certain grave sites, how to get there, monuments to look out for as you kind of weave your way through um, the corridors of the cemetery. So in the instance of Ray Charles, I had to first of all, get to the cemetery, find the mausoleum uh, where he is buried and uh, not all that far away, Etta James, who I love, 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 is also buried um, within, I don't know, maybe 25 different gravestones mm -hmm. away from Ray Charles. So figure out where the mausoleum is located, and then you follow the path set forth by the YouTube videos. So on every trip uh, that I take out into the world, there has to be some degree of preparation. You have to know the address, the route that you're going to take. There's a lot of preparation that has to be done. And in the case of the Inglewood Park Cemetery, it happened to be figuring out that there were YouTube videos with great directions, which guided me to the tomb of one Ray Charles Robinson, known to the world as Ray Charles. And in doing so, I was struck by the idea of how many people would do the same thing that I had just done. I had 20 blind people gone out of their way kind of as a pilgrimage to see where the great Ray Charles is buried, how many people will do it in the future, how important is Ray Charles to the blind community, the inspirational impact that he has on members of that community. All of those narratives sort of came together while standing beneath uh, his tomb. And yeah, I was remarkably taken aback with emotion just at the, the notion that I was standing next to uh, the tomb of Ray Charles. And in Los Angeles, you can actually visit uh, the recording studio. It's in Harvard Heights, Arlington Heights. You can actually visit the recording studio where uh, he produced many of his iconic tracks. So for Ray Charles fans, you would assume, you know, Georgia, Georgia is on his mind. It's the official song of Georgia. Everything would be in Georgia. However, uh, Los Angeles was the home of Ray Charles for the vast majority of his adult life. He's buried in Inglewood. 
and his recording studio is in Harvard Heights. And it was inspiring again to see things full circle, to go from his recording studio to his gravesite, understanding his enormous impact on the world at large, and in particular, the visually impaired community. If Ray could do it, you can do it too. Definitely. And again, like I said last week with your story about visiting, visiting La Brea Tar Pits, it's a very inspiring story what you're able to do. And something that struck out to me that might not strike, uh, like be the thing that stands out to a lot of other people, like listeners that are listening right now, is you know the fact that you had to go through YouTube videos to be able to figure out and to kind of plan and prepare to be able to find his grave. And you mentioned this again, I'm referring to last week a lot, but I'm going back to things that you said about you have to have that mindset of you, you need to plan, you need to prepare, you need to prepare for all outcomes, anything that could go, I guess, wrong, or just things that might happen in general. And you might have to do that more as somebody that doesn't have sight as opposed to somebody that does. But the point being is that you can do it. And like he said, like John said at the end of his story, Ray Charles uh, invokes that same message that despite not having sight, despite not being able to see, you still have the vision, you can still get things done, you can still accomplish things. And I think that's the message that John's story just said. And John, if you agree with me, if you want to elaborate more, I think it's the, the message, one of the messages that this podcast is meant to spread around. Absolutely. Again, as we start out, you don't have to have a lot of eyesight to be a visionary. Uh, you need determination, tenacity, will, and a belief in yourself that you too can in fact achieve at the highest levels, just like Ray Charles. See, sometimes it's easy to mythologize people, uh, taking them from just a, a human being like you or I into the realm of something of a deity, which is not particularly useful. It's great to have heroes, to have people that you admire, but ultimately they are just people, people with challenges, people that have had to overcome obstacles, just like each and every one of us. So yes, if Ray Charles could make out of his life what he did, there's no reason that you can't do the same. Definitely. I think that's a great way to close it out. We'll leave it there. Thank you for listening to episode two of Visionaries. We're going to be releasing more episodes weekly, every single week for you guys. Please give us a follow on our Instagram, visionaries underscore podcast. And if you have any questions, comments, suggestions for any topics or anybody you want us to interview, anything at all, please give us a DM again at visionaries underscore podcast. Uh, share, share, this, share the Spotify link, share our episodes. We want to get this message out there, push it out as much as we possibly can. So again, thank you guys for listening and we'll see you guys next time. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon.